know, if you think 20 years ago, Everybody kind of thought of FP&A, the companies that had it. It was just a back office, right? You did my budget, you did my forecast, you gave me my reporting, and you got out of the way and let me run the business. Today, they're really seen as a strategic partner, or that's how they should be seen. Studies have shown when FP&A has a seat at the table, is viewed as a strategic partner, those companies grow faster and they're more profitable. Welcome to Row with CFOs a finance podcast by Roe for busy CFOs who want to take their leadership to the next level and controllers, accountants, and others who wish to become CFOs in the future. I'm your host and CFO of Roe, Jeremy Clapperman. My guest today is Paul Barnhurst, known as the FP&A guy in the finance community. He's prominent on LinkedIn and helps FP&A professionals up-level their skills. Paul, thanks for joining us today. Thank you for having me, Jeremy. I'm excited to be here. How does a finance team and organization change over time as the company scales? Yeah, no, that's a great comp- a great question. And in general, what you typically see, right, in those early days, you just hire a bookkeeper. Somebody, sometimes even if you're a really small company, you might do it internally if you're a solopreneur type business or something like that. But generally, you have a bookkeeper. Then it goes from, all right, I need some advisory services. Maybe I need a CFO to help with some funding rounds. You, you go get a fractional CFO or some kind of fractional advisory services. Then you start, you know, growing from there, get that first hire, might be a controller, might be a dual hat where they do controller and FP&A, might be a full-time bookkeeper you get first, but you fully start scaling where you add a few employees. And over time, you get to where you have a full department. You know, it's very similar to how the systems scale, you know, right? Very few companies start with a, a BI system, a planning tool, uh, you know, an ERP like NetSuite. Often you start with zero or QuickBooks and Excel. Makes complete sense. A lot of our clients are on that journey. And actually the top question we hear from our clients or potential clients before they join us is that they're spending a lot of time on non-value added activities. What are some thoughts or tips from you on how they can reduce that and improve that? Yeah, no, I mean, that's a real challenge everybody faces. This, the, you know, the numbers I've heard is up to 60% of the time for FP&A professionals is spent on non-value added activities. So I think one of the biggest things is really thinking about your data strategy and then also upskilling employees. So there's two things, having systems that don't speak to each other, not having you know consistent names between files, having a lot of data issues. Where possible as you're thinking and you're scaling, really try to think about the data and making sure that it's consistent across your systems because that saves a ton of time for somebody you know, I have to create lookup tables to match all the different files. The second is, you know, teams need to learn to upskill their ability to clean data, whether that be learning SQL. You know, in some cases, some people might learn a little bit of Python. You know, I'm not a Python person. I've learned a lot of SQL and used a lot of Power Query and Excel. But finding ways to be able to quickly manipulate, transform data, because generally, especially in those early days, it's usually not an IT team that's pulling the data from you and there's not a nice data warehouse where it just all comes out pristine and you, you know, rarely even in a big company does it all come out pristine, but you know, that you can just do your analysis. So the more you can do to have the skills and make sure you're thinking about your data strategy from early on, the less time you'll spend cleaning and scrubbing data. Makes sense. On the topic of data, I think one thing you're discussing is progressing beyond the classic Excel-only tool and using a wider set of tools. Uh, When should companies start thinking about moving beyond Excel? What kind of tools can they think about incorporating? And what are the first things they should do when they go on that journey? 
Yeah, you know, that, that's a great question. And that's going to vary by company. But I think really the key is to get off spreadsheets to a certain extent. And you're not going to fully get off. And they're great for ad hoc analysis and those type of things. But really, it's when you get to the pain point where you can't manage anymore. You got all these different departments and different people inputting files. And you start having the nightmare of version control. You roll it up and then it's wrong and you're spending all night trying to figure out why your links broke. And when you start dealing with those type of headaches, you know it's time you need something more. You know, and so I think that's one of the first signs in the, in the planning stage. You know, there's also similar signs on the data side. When you're trying to do all your data in Excel and it's taking five days to get your SAS metrics, those type of things, you know it's time to probably invest in a in some kind of platform that can help you manage that. And, you know, how you do that is going to vary by company. Sometimes it's as simple as getting an add-in that helps provide some version control, some, you know, security, some different things that make the process easier. Sometimes it's getting going out and getting a full-blown, you know, planning platform. It depends on company need, how much you want to integrate, and, and those type of things. That makes sense. Uh, a lot of our clients are thinking through all those issues, how to integrate data into what they're doing, how to become more efficient and spend more time on value added tasks and how to think about tools beyond just the classic Excel. Um, though there's a lot of the key themes we hear from our clients, but what are some other themes or trends that you are hearing or that you think um, companies should focus on? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, on the, on the data side and, you know, CFOs, I think definitely what you mentioned is a lot of those things that are going on. So I think there's two sides. There's the, there's the big struggle with the data and companies need to think about that and when to leverage systems and how to manage, you know, the finance tech stack. You know, it's becoming more and more for the CFO important to understand that. Then there's also, you know, kind of how you manage the data analytics and how does finance make sure they're working is, you know, the data team sit in finance is a separate, but you got to make sure there's that collaboration, that close coordination because of how much that drives what finance does, all those metrics. The other thing you're seeing with FP&A today is really the, the value creation, being a business partner. You know, if you think 20 years ago, you know, everybody kind of thought of FP&A, the companies that had, it was just a back office, right? You did my budget, you did my forecast, you gave me my reporting and you got out of the way and let me run the business. Today, they're really seen as a strategic partner or that's how sh they should be seen. Studies have shown when FP&A has a seat at the table, is viewed as a strategic partner, those companies grow faster and they're more profitable. And that's really what we're seeing is that need, the scenario planning, right? Coming out of COVID, everybody had to think more than just a static number because everybody's budget was blown up, right? There's almost nobody that could say, oh yeah, my budget worked out just as I expected coming out of COVID or going into it, that whole period. And so I think those are the big areas. It's really being that business partner, being able to think strategically and scenario planning are, I think the big opportunities that people need from their their FP&A and you know finance in general. What can people on the FP&A team do to uplevel their careers and increase the probability that they can be incorporated at the highest levels of decision making? Yeah, I mean, I think the first thing is really understanding the businesses they support, being able to think critically and strategically being able to communicate. Like, you know, one thing I've really tried to do that has helped me really well in my career is every role I've went into, I've dug in deep and tried to understand the business. And I came to the point where not only finance, but I sometimes have business people asking me questions about the business because they knew I understood how it worked. You know, that I had more than just an, an understanding of the financials. And that really allowed me to have the seat at the table because there's times I could have strategic discussions and say, well, have we thought about doing this with this client? 
you know, not that I always knew and no, no, in no means that I have as deep as understanding as the business, but I could have those conversations and speak to it intelligently instead of just being, well, here's the numbers. You tell me what you want to do. So I think that's where it starts is really working to understand the business and then also making sure you're meeting your partner's need. You understand what their pain points are and you're addressing them. Because if they see you're addressing their pain points, they're going to want you in the room. They're going to want you at the table because they realize you, you bring value. Makes complete sense. Now, this is great advice for our FPNA colleagues that are beginning the journey of participating more in the decision-making process. And for those who are already involved, what advice would you give them in terms of having the greatest impact in the current economic climate with greater uncertainty, greater inflation, potential for recession? For those that are in there, what advice would you give them or pointers to be more impactful? Yeah, I think those that are in there is, you know, the first thing in a recession is making sure you understand what's happening with cash, especially, you know, VC funded companies that are not profitable, right? They're needing cash infusions. I think making sure you understand that burn, you understand the key unit economics. So, you know, in a SaaS case, what's my CAC pay, payback? What's my net retention? And you're, you're doing the cohort analysis and helping the business there. And then also just managing the expenses really closely. Right. You don't want to just be a yes man, but there's times when you need to say, you know, they may come to you and say, hire a person. Like I was in a job where we always required that they had a capacity planning model and that we could look at it and say, OK, yes, your capacity is such that you really need another person. It's not that you're just backfilling to backfill. And I think doing things like that and making sure it's a partnership, not a, you know, we're the no department and we're just going to say no because we want to save money. But we're going to say, hey, we don't think this makes sense, but let's explore some other opportunities. So I think really, you know, there's a couple things that, that can be done. It's one, really understanding that cash and the economics and making sure you're alerting the business and things change. And then managing the expenses, really being cautious on that and working with the business to make sure there's a return in a reasonable time frame. Makes complete sense. One other theme that we touched on before um, in terms of greater efficiency and higher quality data and use of it uh, is automation. Any thoughts on how automation is being used more in finance, whether on the accounting side or the FP&A side, and where is it most impactful? Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest area you're seeing automation right now is a lot of transactional accounting. You're seeing some of these bots that can do some robotic process automation that almost act like a person. There's a company here locally. I think there's two big ones in that area. And right now they're able to do about 65% of transactions. You know, and I expect that number to continue to improve. So that's definitely one big area we're seeing automation. I also think we're seeing, you know, more automation, not so much automation, but AI and machine learning and forecasting. Studies have shown if companies are bringing in an external data, management and finance tends to be happier with the forecast because often that provides value you can't get internally whether you know whatever that might be for each company um, and are there any books you've read recently that you'd recommend to our listeners yeah in fact this i haven't read all of it but i've looked through a lot of it and read this this is a great one for finance people it's by jack alexander it was published by wiley it's one of the only full books by a major publisher out there right now for financial planning and analysis. And he used to teach. He's been a CFO of a couple of global companies and it's a really good book. A great recommendation. I'm going to check that out. I feel like so much FPNA knowledge is learned or, or figured out rather than taught. Yeah, it's great <laughs> if there is a reference out there. Um, and I think it, more generally, it's great what you're doing in terms of providing this resource to the community um, because this is how a lot of folks learn about it. It's not taught in schools. It's learned on the job or through peers. 
Uh, on that note, we wanted to turn the floor over to you. Are there any projects you're working on that our listeners can learn more about or any other ways they can get involved and, and follow what you're doing? Yeah. So, I mean, first, you know, I have a podcast, FPNA Today. So we really focus on all things FPNA. So they can listen to that. It's on all your major platforms. You know, I post daily to LinkedIn, a lot of different content around FPNA, Excel, financial modeling. You know, they, they can find me on my website, the FPNA guy. And then as far as projects, a recent project I did is we just released what we call a third generation market guide, where we introduced the market to a lot of the newer tools that have come out in the last couple of years in financial planning, such as Pigment, um, Veretto, DataRels. There's a list of others. It covers 15 different tools just to help people realize that there's more than you know the big players. There's some that really focus on the small, the medium-sized market. If somebody feels like they need the data integration and some of those things that Excel doesn't bring at an enterprise level. Paul, um, this has been great. Great insight and advice for all the FPNA professionals out there. So thank you so much for your time. Thanks for joining me today. And I'm looking forward to following your podcast and checking out that book you recommended. Thank you. Thank you, Jeremy. I appreciate it. It's been a pleasure to talk to you. And uh, thanks again for having me on the show. Our pleasure. To learn more about Roe, visit Roe.co and follow us wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss any future episodes of the Roe with CFOs podcast.